So yes, looking forward to visiting France. Uh, I, Jane's leaving the day before next Saturday, and John Mark. Those of you who know John Mark works for the airline, so he wants to hop around on his free flights. And Jane said, "I'll go with you." So I'm taking the real flight the next day, <laughs> and I says, "We better connect somewhere in Paris, or we're going to be in trouble." So uh, I, I should be here Sunday school, Fame of Life, as we kick off our series next week, and then I'll probably leave straight after. Sunday school to, for the airport, but um, yeah, this is for those of you who've been in class for a while. We've, we've after covering Psalm 119 stanza by stanza for for many months. We have two one-off uh, lessons. Well, last week with, of course, Mark's not here, so I could pick on him, right? Anytime Mark teaches, it's a one-off something. He's a uh, he's off something, but. Um, <laughs> And today I have a chance to, to hit really just more of a very, very practical questions about parenting through the ages. And, and really I just, I have a lot of notes here. I'm thinking I'm not going to make, get all through all these notes in, in 35, 40 minutes. But I want to th- preface it by saying this. One, yes, we've raised four kids. We're raising four kids. But it's not because you raise four children and think, okay, I've got this figured out. I'm going to tell people how, how to get her done. Uh, I remember Matt Sinclair teaching a lesson, on, uh, teaching a series on equipping or an equipping class and he talking about parenting and we attended that class and we came out thinking, man, we did everything wrong, you know, and uh, you think, well, I didn't do so much of what you're supposed to perhaps be doing. But I, I did walk through some parameters that helped me understand how in raising my own kids through different phases of life. And that's really what I kind of want to focus on because what happens as parents is that we, we approach parenting and you know in your own mind you don't get older i mean jim in his mind he's 18 you know he's sitting <laughs> cody texted me this morning he says have i ever played uh is it pickleball i said pickleball that's for old people he says yeah <laughs> no wait, wait. <laughs> so um in our minds we don't you know in our minds we're still where we were when we graduated from college and when Judy talked about the sparks in her eyes, I could still, I thought, man, I, I get sparks in my eyes every time I look at Jane. Is, and, and should I, should I, you know, should I get it checked out? So, so you know, you still remember. Nice kisser. Yeah, that's right, that's right. <laughs> And you know how you realize how you've aged is when you look back at your family pictures and you see your kids as little kids <clears throat> thinking, wow, I, I remember my time in that ministry there and doing this and doing that. And I see my little Emily, my little Chloe, I see John Mark, and I'm like, wow, time has gone by fast. And you, just, you, don't, you don't really grasp that as you're going through it. So I want to throw out a few things. And again, we're, this is a 30,000 view of the question. I'm going to I'm going to fly through some of this but give us kind of tools, things to think about and maybe come back on it later, but this is just really a one-off reflection on on parenting. Since Mark Hager's not here, I do have a chance to get through this in 35 minutes. So uh, for, for, first few questions. What is a child? I mean, when you talk about, you know, parenting children, when, you know, what when what is a child? How long are they your children? Of course, we have a biblical mandate to train children the way they should go. So when is a child 
and when is he no longer a child? When is he no longer my responsibility to, to be parenting? Now, I understand some of you here are, have gone, are, are the young phases. Some of you already raised some kids. Some of you are grandparents from, and help them raise grandkids or at least give an insight to that. So everybody's in a little different phase of life here. But just looking through Scripture, it talks about there's not real clarity on the term is very, used very loosely as far as what a child is. You know, you have uh, Joseph is called a child, but he's 16. You see Benjamin later on called a child. He's roughly 30. Solomon calls himself a child after he's been already in the kingdom. So there's different uh, understandings or different use of the term. But I, I'll, say, I'll say one thing. What I find it interesting is that um, the law has, was read, the Feast of Tabernacles, every seven years. So I find it interesting because that means every, every child at least up to seven years old heard the complete reading of the law. I find it interesting because at seven years old you start having understanding, a lot of young conversions, I was saved at seven. You know, the young conversions start at the time where seven, eight years old, you start understanding things uh, and being in process that. So I, f- I found that interesting. When does a child no longer a child though? I find one other reference to be interesting of course we have governments here that say you know 18 don't you love it when your kids say i'm 18 now i'm an adult oh well, once you start getting a job and feed for you know feed yourself pay for your insurance pay for your car and then we'll come back and, and talk about what it means to be an adult but it's, it's cute you know when they turn 18 they think they've get it all figured out and everything but there, there are two things that are interesting in scripture is that when god pronounced judgment on the israelites in numbers chapter 14 it was the judgment was was on all those 20 and above. So when they went back and wandered in the desert, all those who were held responsible for the rejection were 20 years old and above. And then later on as well, when the census was carried out for military purposes, all those 20 and above were the ones that were eligible for, to be to be recruited and to be part of the census for the for the military. So that gives you at least some indication as to even in the condemnation of, of the people of Israel, those that were sent back wandering versus those who were 20 and above. So there is some reference there, and I'm, I'm going to preface it by saying this too. Uh, I should preface by a lot of prefaces here, right? Um, a biblical, there's a difference between a biblical example and biblical mandate. You can't go to Scripture and read a historical narrative, and from that, okay, so that means... Be very careful with that. Biblical narratives and biblical mandates are two separate things, but we try to glean a little bit from, from that. But then what is the goal? And my, my, my desire today is to walk through different phases of, of raising children and give us insights on what those phases look like and the differences between those. One, though, I put down, what's, what's our goal in raising children? That can get quickly lost when you're raising your kids. Because... In the beginning, we think raising kids is for them to be compliant, obedient, submissive. And we think that basically a lot of our parenting early on is around us. As long as they obey me and respect me and do what I tell them. And immediate obedience or is, you know, delayed obedience is disobedience. We have all these little key things, and it really revolves around, around us as parents, understandably so early on. But let's not forget the bigger picture is to train children to go. You're entrusted with your children for a season. You're not going to keep them. They're not yours. They're the Lord's. And early on, our primary concern is making sure that they make our life easy 
and you, that illusion is quickly thrown out the window, right? But um, you have to comment, DJ, on, on uh, any thoughts on that. Uh, when you have, you know, children with uh, strong minds and strong spirits, and that's a wonderful thing. And begin with thinking, oh, that bothers me because, you know, it makes it more challenging. No, it's, we're, we're training them. We've been entrusted with them. And so I put down a few things. You know, our, our goal is to make them wise into salvation. I mean, ultimately, that's all of our heart's passion, right, is our children know the Lord. I mean, boy, if, if I've shared this before, every day I pray, Lord, don't let me serve you full time and lose my kids. I can't, I don't want to lose my children. And so you're, we should be, first and foremost, burdened with, and it seems obvious to us, it should be as believers. But I tell you, I see a lot of families who are so driven about so many other things, and you think, wow, salvation is a, it's not an afterthought. But the more preoccupied that they're going to be successful, the more preoccupied that they're going to be happy, the more preoccupied that they fulfill their dreams and pursue their dreams and the pursue. And what's sacrificed in that is the ultimate objective is making them wise unto salvation, making them wise as to the word. That means for us, it means placing them under the word, right? It means, yes, family devotions, but it means also being in a church environment where they're going to be fed the word, taught the word, uh, we want to make, make them wise as to the word, making wise as to good works, serving. I mean, our, the blessing of being in ministry, we had many challenges raising kids. One, because you're raising kids in a different culture. You're raising kids as pastor's kids, as missionary's kids, then school administrator kids, everything that could have exploded in every which way. But one thing that was a blessing to us in ministry is that we serve together. Ministry wasn't mom and dad do ministry. It's always that we do ministry. And how can we serve? How, what can we do? My kids were always the ones who helped with when guests were over to watch the kids and play with the kids. But we always cultivated a, a desire and expectation around that. Not, oh, here they come. Why, you know, we, we developed that. So why? Make them wise as to good works, using their gifts their talents reminding them everything they have belongs to the lord every gift you have wasn't designed for use for self-satisfaction and self-fulfillment it's designed to glorify the lord how do you do that uh, make them wise as to being in the world but not of it we're in the world the goal is not how can i create a bubble for my kids we're in the world the goal is how can they learn to be in the world and not of the world we try, to, we try to protect our kids, of course. We have to know when they're vulnerable, absolutely. We have to be aware of what kids might influence them, absolutely. But we can't, we're not there to create a bubble around them. We're there to show them how to be godly, to be in the world and not, not of the world. Make them wise as to their purpose in life. So much of this is lost. It's not, now in the commencement for the high schoolers on Friday night, you know, um, Kevin DeYoung wrote a little book on his commencement speech, and one of them was, do not be true to yourself. I thought that was an awesome quote. I used it Friday. I said, don't, because sure enough, that's the thing, right? Hey, pursue your dreams. Be true to yourself. Bunch of nonsense. It's not about pursuing your dreams. It's about pursuing God's purposes for your life. It's not about being true to yourself. It's about being true to God, being true to his word. But... I tell you, a lot, of, a lot of Christian families adopt that kind of language and uh, making them wise as to their purpose in life and making them wise as to that which is eternal. Your eternal family, your eternal rewards, an eternal perspective. And so th those are some of the purposes of why we're raising kids. 
It's not so that I can leave a legacy of my name. It still matters little. It's, it's glorifying and, and, and honor the Lord. I did write a little section. In. What does it mean to provoke a child to anger? Ephesians um, 4 speaks to you, you know, don't provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. A lot can be said about that. Some obvious things that are practical and impossible standards or no standards, both of them provoke children. Uh, inconsistencies, a lot of these things I teach my teachers as well. Inconsistencies, sarcasm, humiliation. Uh, it's hard after 180 days of school not to get sarcastic with your kids, right? Uh, the best thing I'll say about, about not provoking a child to anger is have a parenting that models, because he says what? but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. In other words, the, the, the contrast to that of what it means to not bring them up or not provoke them anger is to raise them in a way, one, in discipline and instruction of the Lord. So it's being slow to anger, it's being patient, it's being forgiving, it's discipling or disciplining towards repentance, discipline to make them conform to Christ. So those are some of the, uh, of the things that, yes, and again, I see that in the classroom a lot. Teachers can easily provoke kids because of their inconsistencies, and we do that as parents as well. Thankfully, the Lord is, is, is gracious and forgiving as well, but our parenting needs to model a Christ-likeness uh, in order for us to, to not provoke our, our own children to anger. Now, all these things, I got, I got six pages. I write this. I know I got 40 minutes. I never get through my six pages. I'm flying over questions that I... We could dig in a lot more. I'd love to just get your feedback on this. But well, could I say something about the um, spanking? You can spank a child but not spank them well and provoke them to anger. A little swat or something as they go by. Right, no. more angry. Right, we do, if we do half, right, if you have half-hearted or half, it's kind of like a half-attempt at something. And because you don't do it well and thoroughly, you're actually doing a disservice because you're creating anger and bitterness on, on, on the back end. So here are the different phases. Now, this doesn't come from a book. This comes from my jello brain, and it hasn't all been filtered to, the, to perfection. I've had probably the last month has been a little bit nutty. And uh, so if I have some unfiltered thoughts here, forgive me. I'll try to correct them later and ask for forgiveness later. But there's no handbook. For some of this. So these are just kind of loose understanding guidelines. First of all, a child from zero to two. I put down love, nurturing, protect, provide. I mean, that child when he's born is what? That little most vulnerable little child and, and care and, and providing. I did put down, start to begin to set boundaries. Now, I remember someone in our family hadn't had children yet. Bless them. I don't believe in this terrible two thing. That's wonderful. <laughs> when I have children, we're not going to have the terrible twos everybody talks about. Good. Now you're, you might want to communicate that to your kid because they're going to they're going to you know teach you a few things about that. What is that? Terrible twos? Why? Because at two years old, they start pushing. They want to know where the boundaries are. That's no more. You know, they want to. They're going and they will test those limits. So yes, even in a small child, as they reach that limit. I, 
I would childproof my home only to the extent that I want something broken that's super expensive. Otherwise, we never childproof our home. That was a no. And, you know, there's a few things early on that the child learned. One, you never say no. My goodness, you never raise your hand. That'd be the last time unless you're asking a question. <laughs> We're in nursery once, and Jane was working in the nursery, and the child goes like this to Jane. Jane's like, now what do you think you're going to do with that? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's like, but it tells me one thing. Their parents allowed them to raise an arm like they're actually going to swat a parent. So establish, yes, early, early, early boundaries. Phase two to ten years old, I put building. Build a God and parent-centric home, not a child-centric home. There's a lot of ways that can play out. I'll give one example. For me, like, it, like when we're walking in a grocery store, it wasn't me chasing my kids. It was them. Your job is to know where I'm at and follow me. This idea that I'm going to go to the grocery store and look around, my kids going bolting down for the play lane. No, you, you're with me, and when I'm moving, you're moving. As I'm not the one that, you know, oh, where's Johnny? No, Johnny's thinking, where's Dad? And so you, whether it be your schedules, whether it be what you're doing, whether it be how you organize your life, don't, you know, build a God and parent-centric home. I do that through... Family devotions, bedtime reading as they're young, invest time in these formative years. Uh, I love, yes, I'll, I'll sit down there and play Playmobil with my kids, play Hot Wheel cars with my kids, play Barbie dolls with my girls, uh, but I'll deny it if asked. But, I, you know, my, my girls still think that I enjoy watching these little Barbie movies or whatever they... Oh, Dad liked watching them. No, Dad didn't like watching them. <laughs> but I love sitting there with them. It wasn't a matter of, oh, I don't like it. I love spending time with them. And I'll say this here, and, and it's true in other areas. Don't make everything instructional time with your kids. Not everything is a teachable moment. If you do that, you're constantly correcting your kids. Don't make everything a teachable moment and instructional time. Learn to build in there. And in those relational times, you're going to have to overlook, overlook the dumb comment, you know, the foolish statement, and address it later. But don't make, don't make always that. My father's old school, and he's a faithful man, and I love my father, and I learned to, to appreciate him through the years more and more. But he came from that generation where I talked to my mom about later on. She says, you know, he just... His job is to train his son. So everything was instruction. So boy, the most stressful time is the oil change. Show me how to make him do an oil change. Oh no. Grab the right tool. Turn the right direction. You know, it's like it, it was such a stressful time because for him it was an instructional time. He never came and you know, to a rugby game, I played rugby, or to go jogging with me, or you know, because everything was ministry and, and everything was designed around instructional time. Build relational time in these foundational years. Put down, build a, a, a God and parent centric home, bedtime reading. I love reading books to my kids at night. Speak to their hearts. 
Don't make breaking the rules your only gauge as to how you respond to them. Learn to speak to their heart, and that become more significant with time. Put down build obedience. This is the phase where you're building obedience. This is not the phase where you're explaining what you want out of them and why you want it. This is not the why phase. This is you do it phase. The why phase will come later. But when mature, let me explain to you some of these. But in the beginning, it's this is the do phase. This is the obedience phase. So you're the authority. Model a loving, Christ-like authority. You're laying the foundation for how they will respond to a divine authority. It, it's, it's crazy for us to think that we can't establish a God authority in our home, and yet we're going to expect our kids to respect a divine authority. It will not work that way. You are responsible for establishing a, a – to build obedience in your family in a godly and a loving way and to set the foundation for them to know how to respond to God's instruction in obedience to God. Don't – you'll never have a child that's a, rebel, a rebellious child to his parents be a submissive child to God. Or the teacher at school. Or the teacher at school, yes. <laughs> the, these are the key, the key years for spanking. This is when you spank your kids. I'll say this about spanking, and I'm going to go in a long explanation about spanking. Spanking is not a last resort. A lot of people use spanking as when all else fails, when the threats fail, when the corner fails, when you're, con you're condemned to your room, when taking away the phone, taking away the Game Boy, taking away PlayStation. When all that fails, and I'm going to pull out the – no, spanking is the appropriate immediate response for rebellion. It's the first response, and it works. You have to spank enough to where they don't want to get spanked again. You don't want to spank enough to irritate them. You want to spank them enough for them to – and listen, there's, the, the key piece is that I see spanking used a lot as a – I'm aggravated and mad now, so I'm going to come and whip on them. Honestly. We, I didn't go in there systematically every time, and <laughs> when Matt did his teaching thing, Lord, I'm about ready to spank him. May they take it graciously. <laughs> May they not be too painful. And lay my hands on the child, and, you know, no, I said, listen, this is what's going to happen. And I had warned them, as long as there's proper expectations on the front end, if this happens, this is going to happen, then at that point, you know, you get a spanking. But, of course, you don't spank out of anger and frustration. But I put this as well when it comes to, to the spanking piece is you have to distinguish when a kid is making a mistake and being forgetful and just being dumb and to being rebellious. Th learn that quickly. And when you do, rebellion necessitates a spanking response. And uh, God's designed it that way, folks. I, you know, it's, I hear people tell me all the time oh, we don't believe in spanking or spanking. The key, the key thing people tell me, spanking doesn't work with us. Well, the problem is with that is there's a biblical model for it. So you're either telling God he doesn't know what he's talking about in Scripture because he's telling us to spank our children, and God doesn't know how to raise kids that he created. So I have to go with the biblical mandate for that and, and encourage in that way. I put down build expectations. Let ch children should know your non-negotiables. You know, there are every, every one of you have things that you're really passionate about. My kids knew my non-negotiables. They could never say no to us. I mean, by that is, I need to do no. They learned that little word early on. You know how they learned that easier than yes? It's no. 
So they learned. Now they got creative ways of saying no. I, I gotta say that. They didn't. They learned not to say no, but they learned creative ways of not doing what I asked them to do. But they, they should know your expectation. That my kids can never walk away from me when I'm talking. Can you imagine the child turning the back and you walking away? Like, I'm sorry, was I done here? And that my kids would never walk away from me when I'm talking. Bedtime was a non-negotiable. I never negotiated bedtime. I, bedtime is bedtime. You go to bed, we're done. Now, as always, I love you. Kiss them goodnight. When I walk out that room, end the story. I never had problems with my kids. Why? Because <laughs> getting up, going downstairs, not an option. They regretted it the first time and never did it again. I mean, it, you just, you just they, they know. It's funny, every teacher, too, has their own personalities. Every teacher has their non-negotiables. Some kids know, oh, that teacher, I can't be late for that class. I'm on time. I pull in because that teacher, I can't be late. Another teacher, his, home, his assignments, I'm going to have to turn it in because he doesn't tolerate late work. It's amazing how kids know exactly what you tolerate and what you don't. So they need to understand and know what your expectations, expectations are. So, and negotiate that with your spouse. I, raised, I was raised in a family, and I know I've read all this psychodrama around it now, and I probably did, you know, scarred from it. But I was raised in a family where you finish what was on your plate. Jane was raised in a family where when you're done, you're done. And so Jane baffled me. She could have one bite left on that plate. I'm done. I can't, get, I can't eat another bite. I said, sure you can. What are you talking about? Then one more bite. Eat it. So we did have negotiations with the kids, right? Okay, food on the plate. I'm like, you got to finish your food. Well, are they full? Like, so you have to negotiate that with your spouse. But I didn't always win that argument. To keep you to the expectation, I'll say this. And, and this is something that we hammered home with Jane is don't ask what you don't expect. Oh, don't ask your kid. You're better off not asking them to do something than asking them and not really expecting them to do it. Please don't do that. If I tell my kid I want you to come to me, don't say it unless you expect it. Because once I say it and they disobey, I have to respond to it. The worst thing you can do is tell a kid, listen, you've got to do this, and I expect this to be done. And then you don't expect them to be done. Oh, you, you train them so don't, don't do that to them. So these are the young building ages. And then build responsibility. First thing is pick up after yourself. I shared with the kindergarten graduation uh, a book that's called, you know, Everything I Learned, Everything I Need to Know I Learned in Kindergarten. And so he writes, he goes through, uh, I think the book was written in 89, but it was a bestseller. And one of the things he said, learn, clean up after my messes, <laughs> flush. What he learned is that I learned a lot of valuable things in the kindergarten, right? But build, build responsibility. 11.15, I put down shepherding. Begin shepherding your children. Now, of course, you're shepherding through the process, naturally. But you're shifting gears in some ways, in my view. And again, these are personal um, feelings towards this. Shepherd their hearts. Learn to question with respect to authority. Allow them to question in a way that is respectful and have a dialogue and discussion. Don't be threatened by their questions. They're not... The goal is not for them to, to blindly follow your convictions. The goal is to allow them to, now you're shepherding their heart. It's not just, are you doing what I'm asking you to do? It's not blind obedience. Shepherd their hearts. Personally, we didn't spank after 10. So there's not a magical number for that. But uh, at that point, it, you know, we, 
hopefully, if you did the proper job early on in spanking, you don't need to spank after 10, right? But shepherd their mind. Shepherd their minds. Process everything from the, teach them to process what they're thinking from a biblical perspective. Again, it's not, are you thinking the way I'm thinking? Is, are you thinking the way the Bible is teaching through this? Don't be afraid of contrary views. Be, and, and, and be careful there, again, to create a, a bubble and try to, to control and dictate. Because I've seen teachers that way. Uh, a, a colleague of mine teaching young men, he's like, he, he, would not, he would not teach the subject of marriage and divorce from a full biblical perspective because he is afraid that it would encourage people to divorce. So he, he would spoon-feed them exactly his convictions on the issue because he felt like that way I could guarantee they're going to act out the way I think they should. Teach Scripture the way it is and let God form their, their heart. But shepherd their mind. The question is now is what would please the Lord? That should be coming out of your question. Now, what's, what's pleasing as unto the Lord? Uh, don't manipulate Scripture, please. Don't manipulate, period. Don't manipulate your kids. We do that all the time. Good Christian, good kid, you know, whine and moan about, you know, hurt my feelings. Don't manipulate kids through spiritual manipulation or through any other form of manipulation. And in doing that, don't confuse your convictions with biblical truth. Make sure, one thing that we're very careful with at school is telling kids, this is what we're asking you to do, not because it's a biblical, spiritual parameter, but because we want to function as a school. But here's biblical truth over here. When you confuse those two, at this age, they start seeing the difference. They start seeing the difference, and they see the hypocrisy of what you're saying. And you discredit everything about the Word of God because you're tying in your own personal convictions to biblical truth. And when they get smart enough to see the difference, they're throwing everything out, the baby and the bathwater. So be careful to show, hey, this is our personal desire, convictions, here in biblical truth. But make that distinction. Mentoring, 16 to 20, you're mentoring. Your kids are in transition. They're mentor in the transition. Be prepared. Prepare them to leave their home. It's not about you controlling. It's about releasing. They are transitioning. Young men are ready to exert independence, as they should. God designed them that way. They're ready to, to be independent. Tra mentor in the transition. Mentor and plan for their future. We mentored our kids as to what they should pursue after high school. How do you prepare for that? So it's not a matter of, you know, oh, you don't need a degree, that's a waste of time, or, you know, all you need is this. It's, it's okay, if you're a young man, you're gonna need to provide for a family. What skill sets do you need to provide for a family? Doesn't mean you gotta go to college, but you need skill sets. And if you go to college, don't go for, you know, a bubble chewing degree, you know, go for something that's gonna produce something. We're trying to hire a teacher right now. She's trying to convert over to education. You know her degree? Zoology. Now, it's pretty good for school, right? You got a lot of monkeys and a lot of uh, animals. You know, so <laughs> zoology might be the perfect degree for school. But just because you like animals doesn't mean you go for zoology. I mean, you, you have to think through and help your kids navigate through that. They, you know, help. Two things. One is young man. What are skill sets you need and provide a foundation for you can build on that for the future and provide for a family? As a young lady, how can you support that family? As in, how can you be a, in whatever capacity? So it's not about limiting skill sets and everything, but so my one daughter, she wanted to be a pilot at one time. I said, let me just, this is a walk through this. 
be a pilot, you're gonna be away from home, travel, etc. What does that look like? How can you support a family through that? And, and, and I mean support, I mean financial support, I mean how you can support a family through that. So, you know, she went through a uh, change of degree to, to software, internet, uh, safety type degree, and now, you know, she's working from home, supports the family, and is in a home environment, and works software development for, for Liberty. I mean, navig it's not a matter of, hey, do what, what do you like? And do what you like. No, it's, it's what's the purpose of doing? Well, here's what it is, and help navigate through that. So we're very intentional about, about a number of these things. Uh, ment mentor and building relationships, uh, friends versus people you pour into versus people that influence you, how to distinguish between the quality friends, and then what to expect in a spouse. That's a good one. What is your not? There's two things about looking for a spouse. What are your non-negotiables? Determine in front end what's your non-negotiables. Because once you get emotionally attached, those non-negotiables are non-existent if you don't have them in the front end. So what are your non-negotiables? And don't give me, he's got to be 6'1", and you know, wear cowboy boots, and has a ranch, and raises chickens and two cows. Please. <laughs> Do we have, can it be more than that? Can it? So I tell my kids, one is a believer, an obvious believer. Chloe went out with the guy once and a couple times from work and said, so I asked her, so, so where does he go to church? Well, we haven't talked about that yet. I said, well, the reason why, because it's not part of his life. She met another young man at, at uh, uh, Krav, was doing Krav, and the first thing he asked her, they're talking after the practice, he goes, yeah, so where do you go to church? So see, that's, see the difference? So from the beginning, Make those, help them establish those non-negotiables. And then what does it take for them to be prepared to be the right spouse? It's not a matter of having this perfect to-do list that no one can match. It's a matter of me being the right person and be arrogantly thinking that, hey, I'm, I'm the greatest catch and go out there and see what the Lord has. And the last one simply is coaching. Coaching. It's a wonderful time of life to be able to coach your children. Uh, Coaching and decision-making, let them make their own decisions. If it's not sinful, encourage them. It's hard. My father has strong convictions about certain things, and he, you know, it was hard for him, for me, not to have some of the strong convictions he had about certain things. But in time, today, I have a great relationship with my father, but I didn't follow the traditional King James, no short-wearing, no woman's skirt wearing, pants wearing, whatever it was. I, I, didn't, I wasn't part of that world. I didn't, I, didn't grow, I didn't pick up those convictions. And then there was a season where he told me when I went to the mission field, we went out in our church, didn't take the boy. He said, well, he, it was an offense at one point. Because after all, I mean, I, I chose this board. It was the best board. And why would you want to go with them? And there's, it's personal. It shouldn't be. Your goal now is to coach, coach relationally, which means establish that relational part and get to know your children. They should be able to communicate. Boy, if they can't talk to you about it, who can they talk to about it, right? Coach objectively. Don't be offended when they don't follow your convictions. And coach in faith. Faith knowing that God will fulfill his purposes in the life of your child. God will fulfill his purposes in the life of your child. So that is my 30,000 view of, of the different phases of parenting. I know it really has a, the, the, there's a lot of things to dig, to pull out from there. 
But I want to just, I, I, I did this because I want to encourage you. I've been thinking about it a lot. I know I've talked to families, and I want to encourage you as, you as you raise your children. One, every phase is special, is unique and special. I loved every phase of it. I love reading his little silly books to my girls, and I love right now even listening to the drama. I said, please bring the drama down or bring it down, and there's still drama. And so every phase is special. And trust the Lord in that. But don't treat your 18-year-old as if they're still a 5-year-old. <clears throat> Grow and mature in, in, in that parenting process as well. I know there's – I wish we could have had a lot of discussion about this. It's just really a one-off out there, and uh, hopefully a few pieces of that would be, would be helpful. So have a wonderful week. Uh, next week we start a series on um, conflict and peacemakers, being a peacemaker. We have different uh, men of the class will be taking different parts of that series, and Nathan will be kicking out, kicking that up, uh, kicking that off rather next week. So, looking forward to that. Let's pray. Father, we have been given the the gift of children. They've been entrusted to us, Lord, and and yes, many times to look back and I thank you, Lord, that you spared us so much. But what a blessing it is to have children who who grow in a knowledge of you, a desire to please you. Parenting is a, is a hard task, but it's a joyful task. Well, I pray that even in this role that we would encourage each other, Lord, that we would help mentor, encourage, give each other advice in these different areas of life as we all share these the same joys. Lord, bless these families, Lord. I pray for this coming week, as many of them kick off the summer. I know some have already started traveling. It will be in and out that we might not lose sight of each other, but use this summer to spend some intentional time with one another. We commit this day to you. Pray for uh, Brian as he brings the, the message here in just a few minutes. Give him freedom to speak your word. We commit this to you, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen.